Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. I'm excited this morning. We're going to continue in the series on the Gospel of John. We've been in this since basically the beginning of the year. Uh, Today or this week, I asked you to read chapters 9 and 10 if you could. Uh, This coming week, we're going to be back to one chapter a week. So uh, if you want to read along with us this coming week, it's going to be chapter 11. Uh, But we we talked last week about chapter 8 and this moment in chapter 8 where we get to the end. And it is the the pinnacle of the anger of the Pharisees. Uh, It reaches this boiling point where they're ready to stone Jesus. And all of this is in response to something Jesus said. Uh, where he said at the very end of chapter 8, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Now this was a reference to God's words um, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses said to God, suppose they ask me who is sending them, who do I tell them sent me? And God replied in verse 14, uh, I am who I am, and this is what you were to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So this is why Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He was making a claim uh, to be that person in the Old Testament saying, I am. And that's why there was no question in the, the, the mind of the Pharisees. That's why they picked up the stones and were prepared to kill him over this because Jesus identifies himself as that great I am. But what Jesus does on seven different occasions in the Gospel of John, <clears throat> excuse me, is he takes that statement, I am, and then he kind of completes that statement. I feel like I'm going to knock this over there. Uh, He kind of completes that statement. So in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And this morning, we're going to see the next two of these I am statements, and we're going to go a little into detail on them and what Jesus meant. So let's just begin in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. There's that first statement. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here's the next statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then he says it again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And finally in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them in also and they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock 
and one shepherd. And most people believe that that verse 16 is referring to uh, when God expanded his ministry, or Jesus expanded his ministry from just the Jewish people to people everywhere, to the Gentiles as well. He was expanding his flock. So there are two statements that he makes in this passage. He says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. And what we want to do uh, to understand them a lot better is we want to bring those into the context of what Jesus was saying in that moment. When Jesus uses this language of the sheep and shepherding, uh, the language itself is actually nothing new. The language of sheep and shepherding, it's all over the place in the Old Testament. You can go all the way back to Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 48, uh, 15, Israel referred to God as his shepherd. You can think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, what is uh, most prominent in this moment, our primary focus, is going to be actually Ezekiel 34. Um, remember uh, somewhere like Psalm 23, well, that's a prayer. But Ezekiel 34 is a prophecy, and it's one that is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And in fact, there are multiple occasions throughout the Gospels that Jesus connects his listeners to Ezekiel 34 and claims that he is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. He does it really clearly again in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it's chapter 10, where he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I believe this is exactly where he is leading his audience in this moment when he says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, now, this is, is really significant if it's Ezekiel 34, because Ezekiel 34 is unique to the other shepherd references. Because if you think of something like Psalm 23, it's this beautiful poetic language. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I mean, uh, we have... Uh, picture frames that, that have that verse. It's a beautiful verse. Ezekiel 34, on the other hand, has a completely different tone to it. It's actually a very confrontational tone towards the leaders of Israel. So I just want to show you that because it begins with this rebuke against the leaders of Israel. Uh, Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1, says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. On to verse 10, he says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. And I will rescue my flock from their mouths. It will no longer be food for them. So first we have this rebuke taking place against the shepherds, against the leaders of Israel, and that's followed immediately by God's promise to step in and become the shepherd himself. And that begins in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34. It says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. 
I will shepherd the flock with justice. And then on to verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. So we have this rebuke against uh, the leaders of Israel in this moment, and it's followed by this declaration by God that, that he himself instead will become their shepherd, and he will do so through his servant David, which simply means through the lineage of David. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and he's taking them back to Ezekiel chapter 34, it's actually a two-sided statement. Uh, when I was growing up, if you wanted to listen to music, uh, you had to, to listen to cassette tapes. And I was so excited to get a Walkman back in the day so I could listen to my own cassette tapes. Some of you go further back than that, and others have never seen a cassette tape in your life. But uh, uh, cassette tapes, when you would get to the end of the first side, what would you do? You would, you would take it out flip it over to side B, and then you would listen to the rest of the, the tape on side B. Uh, those became antiquated. They were replaced by CDs. And I can remember when, if you bought a car, it cost a lot extra to get a CD player because that was the new thing. Did you know if you buy a new car today, you have to pay extra to get a CD player because it's antiquated? Nobody uses CDs anymore. It's a true story. Uh, my in-laws, they told them they would have to pay extra for a CD player. Uh, but uh, side A in this story, Jesus is telling them is, hey, this is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. God has stepped into humanity. Side A, this is glorious. But anybody who knows Ezekiel 34 knows that there's a side B. And that is that the leaders of Israel, their days are numbered. That God has seen that they are only taking uh, care of themselves. And the leaders of Israel in that moment, their days are numbered. Now, uh, what's going to happen if the Pharisees hear what Jesus is saying in this moment? What, what's going to happen if word gets to them that Jesus has said, hey, Ezekiel 34 is being fulfilled before your very eyes? Well, let me take you back to John 10, the very first verse. It says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen uh, by the gate, all of this conversation that takes place, it, it's not to a huge crowd uh, of, of just, just ordinary people. He's actually speaking to the Pharisees. So it's not a matter of, is the word going to get to them? No, Jesus takes care of that. He's speaking directly to them, and he comes out of the gate swinging. He says in verse 1, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. And I have a picture I just wanted to show you of what a sheep pen would look like in this day. There would just be a small gate there at the opening, uh, and uh, at night you might put your sheep in there, and uh, a thief and a robber would come over the walls. There would be somebody who would guard the gate, who only allows in the shepherd to come through that place. So uh, on to verse 2, it says, the one who enters by that gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own by, uh, sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they uh, do not recognize a stranger's voice. I love what he says here is they, they will never follow a stranger. So, so, Greg, if you want to put that picture back up for just a few more seconds. Uh, th there's only one shepherd 
in this illustration that Jesus gives. Only one legitimate shepherd. And what Jesus says is all of the other shepherds are thieves and robbers. They are not legitimate uh, shepherds. The, the word used in scripture for thieves, it, it implies stealth and trickery. In other words, they, they kind of tricked their way into it. And the word he uses for robbers implies violence and force. Uh, what Jesus says is, you're all illegitimate shepherds. You're in this position not because God placed you here, but because of corruption or because you knew the right people. Uh, you, you just found yourself here and Jesus says, you aren't actually legitimate shepherds. And one of the ways I can prove that to you is that the sheep are not following you. He says that they won't follow a stranger. Now, if you think back to what's been happening in the Gospel of John, the Pharisees are getting so angry with Jesus. Why? Because so many people are following Jesus. They're not following the Pharisees. They're following Jesus. So uh, John 7, 32, for instance, uh, they try to have him arrested over this. But Jesus tells them they are illegitimate shepherds. And the Bible says it went right over their heads. They didn't get the illusion. Uh, we see that in verse 6 of John 10. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, so he gives them another illustration. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus says, not only am I the shepherd in this story, but I'm also the gate. I am the only way. Uh, now, now there, there's a difference of opinion over what uh, this might specifically mean because some people believe when Jesus says that all who came before me uh, were thieves and robbers, some believe he's talking about the false messiahs. Uh, I tend to believe it could be that, but uh, I think it's actually a continuation of what he's just been saying to the Pharisees, saying to them, you're not the way. Because that would have been the most offensive thing you could say to a Pharisee in that moment was, you're not the way. You've been trying to teach people and lead people to salvation. You are not the way. In fact, the only way is through me. I am the gate to salvation. And if we were to continue with the next verse, Jesus goes from there directly into, I am the good shepherd. And it's that moment of, well, if he's the good shepherd, then he's also, it's kind of a referendum on the Pharisees that they haven't been doing their job. So they become furious. But what I want to do for just a minute is back up. Because even uh, the immediate context of this story doesn't begin with these two verse or with this uh, first verse in John 10. Uh, one of the things that John does very well in his gospel uh, is he separates events where there needs to be separation. He, he tells you things like, uh, well, it's the day of a festival, it's a new festival, or it's a new day. Uh, when we go from John 1 to John 2, he tells us that it, a new day had begun. Uh, John 5 begins by saying, uh, some time later or some time had passed. John, John 6 begins the same way, some time after this. John 7 in the Greek language is the exact same thing, some time after this. And John gives us these divisions of time uh, that are taking place. And in John 10, we actually see this um, in verse 22 because he says, uh, the day came for the Feast of Dedication. And what John is doing is he's trying to provide a timeline. 
Now, this is important because it helps us to separate events that are taking place in the Gospel of John. But what it also does is it helps us to see things that are meant to be viewed together. So chapter 10, for instance, uh, we tend in our minds to begin in verse 1. But actually, if you follow the Gospel of John, this whole, uh, we call it the Good Shepherd Discourse, it begins back in chapter 8. And there are these two encounters that take place that are, are supposed to be tied to this discourse that Jesus gives about the Good Shepherd. Uh, the Good Shepherd is meant to be viewed through the light of these two encounters. So I want to read one of them and we'll talk about the other one as well. But the, the first moment that's leading the way to this Good Shepherd discourse is in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. It says, At dawn Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Who has, or has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now keep in mind, both of these statements Jesus has made uh, when he said, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd, uh, he made to the Pharisees and he made uh, in, in order that he would be contrasted against the Pharisees. And in this moment in John chapter 8, we find the Pharisees are bringing this woman to Jesus. Uh, and what they want uh, is they want this woman to come under judgment and to be killed. Now, that, that should ring a bell a little bit because a few weeks ago in John 5, remember Jesus healed on the Sabbath and what they wanted to happen to Jesus is they wanted him to come under judgment and be killed for it. But what we found was Jesus said, the problem with that is the Father has entrusted me with all judgment and with uh, the authority over life and death. So in John 5, he said, God has entrusted me with this. We find the same scenario taking place here where instead of Jesus, they won't kill. They say, well, this woman, according to the law, should be judged and killed. And what Jesus does is he shows grace and he says to her, I don't condemn you. This is the only man who has the legitimate right to condemn her in that moment. He is free of sin, but he says, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. John said the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And what we have in this moment to me is one of the clearest images of grace in all of the Bible. And that's partly because not only do we see what grace is, but we see what grace is not. Uh, what we don't find taking place in this story is Jesus doesn't say to this woman, your sins are forgiven I don't condemn you. Go continue your life of sin. Because that's not grace. 
But what happened uh, is this idea became so prevalent, this idea that grace means I can continue in sin, that Paul had to address it directly in Romans chapter 6 and say, that's not what grace is about. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now from that place, go leave your life of sin. And what we find here is the intention of grace is to bring freedom from sin. Freedom from confinement to sin, both in practice and in punishment. That's important. In practice and in punishment, grace is meant to free us. And we're going to see a little bit uh, more of that shortly. But we see something else that grace is not. And that's as, as John or, or Jesus here shows us not only the intention of grace, but he shows us the order of grace. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. What he does not say is, once you have left your life of sin, I won't condemn you. Because that's the other idea that we come away with is, is once I have cleaned myself up, then God will accept me, then he'll love me, then I can receive his grace. But what Jesus presents here is this idea that actually the, the freedom from sin should overflow from the knowledge that you've been forgiven. That there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You've been made whole. And from that place, from that place of freedom, you walk in freedom in practice. And remember all of this, this entire response is leading us to chapter 10 where Jesus is comparing his ministry to the ministry of the Pharisees. And he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. You guys are not the good shepherd to the Pharisees. I am the good shepherd. And we go back to John 8 and we see this, this image here of what that means. For the Pharisees, their idea of shepherding is this woman has sinned, she should be killed. The idea of shepherding to, to the Pharisees is we should rid the world of sinners. And the idea of shepherding to Jesus is we should redeem all of the sinners. And that's why Jesus says, I am actually the good shepherd here. From there, it goes into to chapter 9 where Jesus encounters this man born blind. And again, the Pharisees are not concerned with this man. They have no empathy towards this man. They don't care about this man. And even when he's healed, they don't rejoice with him. They actually tell the man, hey, you're a sinner from birth. And they kick him out of the, the temple. Uh, so what we have is we have this woman caught in adultery. And what's unique about her is she chose her situation. She chose adultery. She, she chose to sin. And then from there, he encounters this man. And the Bible specifically says he was born blind. He didn't choose this situation. He was born into it. Uh, and Jesus meets the need of both. And uh, I was just thinking that the, the truth of the matter is sometimes that is the determining factor over whether we have empathy for someone or not. Uh, is it like the woman caught in adultery who uh, kind of made her own bed, she can sleep in it? Or is it the man born blind who uh, he was born that way, he had no control, so we should help him. But what we find is, is Jesus said, I'm here to shepherd both of them. I'm here to meet the needs of both of them. We get the same response from the Pharisees in both situations. They don't care. 
They don't have empathy for either. Uh, we get the same response from Jesus in both, uh, both situations. It's empathy and love and healing and restoration. And all of this sets up his conversation in John 10, where he says, I'm the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. Uh, Mike, if you could come up. I don't know where you are. There you are. And part of what, what he says against the shepherds of Israel is, you have not strengthened the weak. This is what I hold against you. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You haven't bound up the injured. So he says in verse 16 of Ezekiel 34, so I'm going to do it. I'll search for the lost. I'll search for the strays. I'll bind up the injured. I'll strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock. And this is what it looks like to be the good shepherd. Can you guys stand with me this morning? Uh, one of the things that he talks about when he's talking about this relationship of the good shepherd to his sheep, uh, that sheep pen, Greg, can you put that picture up one more time? Uh, they would have these sheep pens right outside the city often. Uh, and at night, if there were a lot of people that were staying in the city, all of their sheep would go into the same pen. Uh, and what would happen was... Uh, the, the shepherd would go to the next morning and simply based on his voice, his sheep would come out to him and follow him and all the others who were not his sheep would stay back. Uh, and it was this picture of relationship that a shepherd had with, with his sheep where he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. still calling you to follow me. And he says in, in, in the gospel of John, he says that after the sheep come out of the gate, he goes on ahead of them and he leads the way. And that's important because what it tells us is he's not behind them, driving them with a whip. He's in front of them, leading and preparing the way. And that is the relationship that we have with God today. If he is your shepherd and you are his sheep, he is not driving you with a whip but he is leading you and preparing the way, just like Psalm 23, leading you to the still waters, to the good and green pastures. And that is the relationship that we have with God. And, and if you say, Pastor, that's not my relationship with God. I know God the slave driver.
place this morning to accept your grace. listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.